I've been doing this series that I've titled 11,000 Days looking at my 30 years of walking with Jesus. And over these last uh, four weeks, I've been talking about some of these timeless truths and some of these cemented principles that God has ingrained in my heart over the last 30 years. It's been a blast. If you missed any of it, just go to the Cross Loganville and pull up our messages. I would highly encourage you to see it. Great testimonies of Amanda Patrick and Matt Humphrey and Antonio Davis were included. So as I started thinking about in this transition from where I've been to where we're going to go about walking in the dust of the rabbi and becoming like Jesus, I thought, you know, what would be fun is to have some of our people themselves share a timeless truth. So I asked Mickey, Mickey, take a timeless truth and give us about a five-minute word. Patrick Newton, who does our 58 ministry, he's all tatted up wearing his Florida Gator t-shirt today. <laughs> Patrick, would you share? Yes, brother. I asked Nick Slade and Kim Pickens and then my lovely bride, Barb. I said, would you all, all take about five minutes and share with our people what God has, has like cemented in your heart? So that's what we're going to do. And then I'm going to wrap it up. But dressed in her purple yet again, give it up for my friend, Mickey Asbury. Good morning, all. Um... Born and raised in a close-knit Baptist community in Decatur, Georgia. That's where um, I grew up. The timeless truth, when uh, Tim called and he, well, texted and he said uh, something about a timeless truth, I'm thinking, okay, timeless truth, I got to add it up, add five, carry the one, what day was it? I don't even know what I was kind of struggling with, but 6,810 days. The timeless truth that sticks out to me is unity and community begins and grows at the cross of Jesus Christ. Here is where purpose is found and missions extend and giftings and circles of influence are changed. Here's what I know for sure. Without a healthy biblical community, God's mission for you and for me can't be done. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Your gifting is needed for this community here. 6,810 days ago, Derek and I sat in a Piedmont hospital room preparing to deliver our stillborn twin boys. You know, there are many God moments in that story. Um, it was a very sad time for us, but I don't have time to share that today. What I do want to share is that I remember a care pastor coming by our room at Piedmont Hospital. You see, he didn't look like me, and he could have easily passed us by and assumed that what we looked like on the outside was not worthy of him coming in. But he spoke to Derek and I, and he said, your lives and your choices from this moment forward will affect and change the community of Jesus for the sake of the cross. Rocked my world. I'm preparing to deliver two boys who won't be breathing on this side. And this man, white man, came in and he decided to take time to get in our messy middle. See, it's not by happenstance that I'm here. You know, Tim may have called when Michelle was um, leaving out, moving out to go, to, go up uh, north 
and ask the position. But I believe God ordained this moment so long ago, even before I was here. Community is not just relegated to where you were born or where you go to school or work or heaven forbid who people assume you vote for, right? But what I do know for sure is community is family. Community is messy. Community is vulnerable. There are some of you all in here who have yet to step outside of your community, who have yet to get messy, get vulnerable, get in the midst of life and what life means. I'm not making a plug for a small group director, but what I do know for sure, over the last 48 to 72 hours, community has stood up in this building, on this campus, out in the community, and that's what's most important. You see, the man could have passed Derek and I by based upon what we appeared to be on the outside, but I ask this question, whose life are you getting involved in? Who's that person that does not look like you at work or at home, at school, that you need to get in their life. You see, community is the timeless truth. And the only way that we can move ahead is if we unify in community together. So I charge you, your family, your sphere of influence, to step outside of your comfortable cushioned chairs, those comfy shoes or mud boots, and get busy, get vulnerable, get messy, get involved. Because that changed my life for that man that stopped by that hospital room that morning for Derek and I. And I believe the best is yet to come. How y'all doing? Just gonna breathe that in for a second. That's victory, that's what it looks like. So Tim, like everybody that's coming up here to speak, he, he asked me, he's like, hey, can you give a fundamental truth that you've learned? And I'm trying to, I'm like, okay, fundamental truth, fundamental truth. And then it hit me because one of the thing that I learned completely blew my mind and rocked my world. And maybe it will do the same for some of y'all. The fundamental truth I've learned in the, the 908 days is God is smarter than me. He's smarter than me. And it took me a while to figure that out. And the, the scripture that kind of nailed that down for me was Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now, reading this, I had no problem applying this to what I would consider big ticket items. And what I mean by that is how the universe was created. God, you got me. People try to spend their entire lives, careers, trying to wrap their brains around what you did in a matter of words. How the, the earth works, spinning, going around, doing all, and you do that and still do all these other things. God, you got me, I can't. Your, uh, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But when it came to my life, for some reason, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm smarter than, I'm smarter than that and I can deal with my life in my way. Because see, I come from a military background and a law enforcement background. And those two backgrounds love planning. 
military, and if y'all are military, y'all know or you have family members that are military, you know, the military will make plans to plan. <laughs> they will make plans to change plans. And it's not like we just get together in five minutes to plan. It's a two-hour meeting on how we're going to change this one-page plan. So if, if you ask my wife, and I, I'm a planner. I like to, okay, well, when I'm 26, this is, and on the 26th year and the third month, I'm going to do this. But see, when I was making my plans and I was trying to grow my relationship with Christ, none of my plans ever really seemed to turn out quite how I thought they should. It was really plans of mice and men. And being a cop, I'm prone to trying to figure things out. I'm very curious. I want to know how it works. I got to know the truth in it. So I'm, as I'm sitting there and I'm evaluating my life and I'm dissecting, I'm going, okay, God, God well, what's, you know, I'm, I'm, these plans seem really good on paper, but they're not, you know, why don't they ever work out? And selfishly, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, and, and why aren't you working in me and through me more? There's got to be an obstacle. I got to figure out what the problem is. I got to determine what the obstacle is. And then it hits me, you're the obstacle. <laughs> I'm what is getting in the way of God's plans because I think my plans are better. I think my ways are better. And it was then that I just completely surrendered and said, all right, God, obviously I don't know what I'm doing. You seem to because things have been working pretty good under your control, you know, up until now. Obviously you know what you're doing. I don't, it's yours. And honestly, the, the movement that once I completely surrendered that happened was just amazing. And not to say that God's plans and God's ways are easy. It's not. Completely surrendering and following God's plan and his design is not easy at all. But it's better because he's smarter. He's smarter than me. And he's smarter than all of us. So the fundamental truth is just get out of God's way. Let God do what God does. And it's as simple as that. Thank you. All right, before you set that timer, oh, you already did. Okay, well, I have to say that Tim Cash must have a prerequisite to be a staff member here at this church. You have to be a stand-up comedian. I've decided. Laughter is good medicine. So when I received the text from Tim about a timeless truth, I, of course, had to look up the word because I had to get my mind around what does this word timeless mean? What exactly is he asking for me? The word timeless means not affected by the passage of time, and it doesn't grow out of style. So I really had to kind of just filter through and sift through some of the truths that I've learned in my 9,490 days of walking on this journey. And I landed with just the truth that all woven throughout my journey is that God does not waste our pain. He truly uses our pain to actually be the fertilizer to your very growth and your very walk in him. I love the quote, something is going to grow out of this and it's going to be me. Because that's really true. I love this quote by Rick Warren. It says this, most people waste their suffering 
most people waste their pain. Most people don't profit from their problems. They don't harvest their hurts. They don't advance from their adversity, and most people don't learn from their losses. They don't improve from their injuries. Most people never gain from their pain. You know, the reality is that we live in a world, we live in a fallen world, and it's riddled with pain. In fact, we're promised in the word, we're going to endure it. We're going to have hardship. We're going to have pain. You know, America, I learned in in doing a little research, we use over 80% of pain management drugs in the whole world. I think there's a tie there. In America, we want ease. We want comfort. We want quick fixes. We don't want to have to go through stuff. But in order to walk with God, and in order to grow and actually be used of God, we got to go through some stuff. So the reason why in my walk, this has been a timeless truth for me is because it has been marked and riddled with a lot of pain, like many of you. You know, I've been the small child sexually abused. I've been in a very lengthy marriage where we've had a lot of obstacles and a lot of conflict. I was diagnosed at 40 with stage three cancer of the colon. You know, we go through stuff. I've experienced unhealthy church body life. You know, we all have have had these things happen to us. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says, More than this, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that that in suffering is produced endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. We also know that pain, and this is a hard one, pain exposes who we are, And pain exposes where we are. And that's what my pain and my journey has done for me. It's very humbling, but it's very, very rewarding and healing when you can grasp this truth. The most favorite part of this message that God has given to me about pain not being wasted and being actually used as a fertilizer to my growth is that he makes all things beautiful in his time. In his time, he does it. You might have a situation in your life, a broken relationship, a child that's kind of gone astray, a looming diagnosis, a concern. I promise you this, he will redeem it, he will turn it, and he will make something beautiful out of it. He does not waste our pain. He's an amazing God. Romans 8:28 absolutely solidifies that truth. I have one minute left. Get moving, Kim. So this is what I want you to know. The chapter you're in right now, it doesn't define you. It's just a chapter. It's just a part of the story. If you were to flip ahead when you read and you go to the last chapter to kind of figure out what's going on, you would see that this current situation you're in is not the final chapter. It's just one little slice. You know, I wondered this week when I was calculating my days, I wondered how many days Paul had been into his journey when he penned this in 2 Corinthians 11, 23, and 28. I've been put in jail more often been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times I was whipped with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I have faced dangers from flooded rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from angry crowds. I have faced danger in the city and in deserts and even on stormy seas. This is my favorite. I have faced dangers from people who claim to be Christians and aren't. I've lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights, and I've gone hungry and thirsty. I've often gone without food, and I've often shivered with cold, without enough clothing to keep me warm. 
Besides all of this, I've had the daily burdens of the churches that I've started. That was Paul. He penned that. That was his story. So God does not waste your pain. So today, whatever you're dealing with, whatever the pain is, whatever the suffering is, whatever the conflict is, let him use it as a fertilizer to grow you. Thank you. What's going on? It's extremely weird for me to stand up in front of people without a guitar. Um, and I, I was thinking as I was sitting down there, um, being second for service and just listening, um, when Tim first called me and I still never met him face to face, he used the word team over and over again. He's all about the team. And coming from a sports background and things like that, I, uh, um, I understood that, and, I, and the team is important. But as I sit, sat there and I listened to this, I pray that when you say the cross is my church, you're not talking about this building. Because if you got your toe in the, in the, just barely in here and you're sitting in the back, you are missing so much. The team of people, and I'm not talking about the staff, although the staff is part of that. I'm talking about these people here. They will love on you until it hurts, until sometimes you're annoyed. They will love on you. So that is not my nugget, but I was just thinking about it. Dive in. The church is the body. Here's my nugget for you. God continues to pursue you, okay? I I don't think I defined that well last time. I just started talking. God continues to pursue you, whether you are totally lost and you don't care about all of this, you are barely listening to me, God is pursuing you. If you've made a decision long ago and you've continued, you've been in church your whole life, God continues to pursue you. If you are on fire and feeding the homeless every day, God continues to pursue you. I uh, want to illustrate this with a little story. I'm, I'm a creative, um, and that's just a stupid word for I play guitar, I think. But the, so I, I wake up and be inspired one day, you know, and, and I have this thought in my mind, and I'm on my way to work. This is my previous job, and, and I'm thinking about the voice of God and just the power and the voice of God, and that God says, let there be light, and light exists. And the same voice is the voice that speaks to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm just rolling around this idea, so I start pinning this song. And that, Didn't that sound creative? I was pinning this song. <laughs> I took my glasses off and nibbled on the handle and went, this is good. And this is whatever. Anyway, um, so I write this lyric, the voice of unrelenting love. And I have this meeting I have to go to at lunch. And I write that, and I, and I was like, okay, I like this. And I get in the car, I'm driving to this meeting. And I'm like, I don't even know if unrelenting is a word. I know relentless is a word. And they mean pretty much the same thing. But I don't really know if unrelenting is a word. I'm, some of these things I'm not super smart at. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. So I'm driving to this meeting, and I sit down with this guy. And this is a youth pastor who I'm going to do lead worship for like a week camp with him. And I sit there, and we're talking through stuff. And he goes, hey, just so you can get some ideas as you plan music and stuff, a lot of what we're going to be teaching out of is out of this chapter in this book. And he slides it over to me. And the title of the chapter is Unrelenting Love. And I went, this is what it's like to be haunted. (laughs) God is coming after me. I'm sitting here, and when God's saying, like, I know you like being creative, but it's not just this gift of creativity. You're hearing the voice of God. He's, I'm after you. And I've 
I was in it. I was working for Jesus. I was on fire for Jesus. And it wasn't just this moment in this prayer. We love to bring up that prayer. And churches love to say, this is how many people prayed the prayer. But it's not even this biblical thing. Pursue God. He wants your heart. And this is even the thing that Tim talked about me in the beginning. He, I mean, he hired me without hearing me play anything. I didn't play anything. I met with him in a restaurant. I couldn't have. We sat there and, and he said, I'm going to judge you by your heart because that's how the Lord sees you. So that's how I'm going to see you. Luckily, I turned out to be awesome. <laughs> <Okay>. Sorry. <laughs> I can't be a stand-up comedian because I laugh at my own jokes. Um... So you hear Tim quote A.W. Tozer up here a lot, and I encourage you, um, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. You can download the PDF for free. If you only read the prayers at the end of each chapter, it will rock your life. But I think you should read the whole thing. And this is a quote from it, just regarding the current state of our churches and, and this idea of the prayer. How tragic that we in this dark day had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, a term incidentally which is not found in the Bible. God is pursuing you. Continue, continue to pursue him. And I, I'm totally convinced that all it takes is your attentiveness to know that he's pursuing you and to look for it, and you will see it. You will see it in the people around you. You'll see it in what you read, and you will be blessed by it. Thank you. Well, Benji was afraid that when I came up here in bare feet that y'all would think that I had become a gypsy or something or that I'd been hanging out with Melanie Newton too long, but I promise it's going to make sense in a little while why I have no shoes on. So I admit when Tim first asked, I don't even know if he really asked, he just said, I need you to do this, um, to speak and share a timeless truth with everybody, I was a little bit frustrated. First of all, I felt sort of like the token pastor's wife. That's why I got asked. But I thought, how do you encapsulate almost 11,350 days into one timeless truth? Because if you're like me, there's so many truths that God has cemented in my mind and in my heart. And how do you pick just one? And so I was wrestling through trying to figure out what I was going to share. And God, in his gentle, kind way, said, you big dummy? And kind of startled me. And he said, do you remember December 26th of last year when you and Benji went to the tattoo parlor and you got that verse tattooed on your foot? It wasn't a random verse. You didn't just pick it because it sounded good. You picked it because it was such a timeless truth to you that you wanted to take it with you to eternity. And I just started laughing. I'm like, you're right. I guess that's my timeless truth. And this timeless truth has been a timeless truth for me for close to 20 years. God really showed it to me when I was preparing to speak to a bunch of homeschool moms. Um, and I was trying to figure out a way to encourage them. And so I was reading through Proverbs 31, which that's not always a way to encourage women. It usually causes them to have their eyes glaze over and roll back in their head because they seem to think it's like a portrait in the day of the life of this woman when really it's, it's a combination of a bunch of women over the course of their lives. But I decided to read it 
in the message because I wanted a little fresher perspective about what maybe it was saying. And so I was reading through and I got down to verse 18 in Proverbs 31. And you know those moments where it's kind of like there's a divine light that shines down and an angelic choir starts singing. And I felt like I had never read this verse before, but it said, she senses the worth of her work. And I thought, Wow, as a, as a wife, as a mom, as a homeschooler, that is the hinge that everything that I do swings on. If there is not incredible worth and value in what we do, then, I mean, we might as well stay in bed with the covers over our head. Because reality is, if you have been a stay-at-home mom for more than mm, three or four days, you know <laughs> that it can be a very thankless job when you're covered under piles of laundry and, you know, you fed them three meals yesterday and they look at you like they haven't eaten in a week. And, you know, it's like, what the heck? I fed you. And, you know, it's just a constant barrage of questions and and I'm needy and fix my needs and take care of me. And, and it can really become exhausting. And God really showed me that if there is not great worth in the mundane that we do every day, then the extraordinary becomes the standard. And you really can't maintain that for very long. Tim and I were able to go last week to Kansas City for two of the World Series games, and it was very fun, and it was very exciting, and and there was so much enthusiasm, and the energy there was awesome, and we got to see close to three games of baseball because that first one was almost two wrapped into one, and it was great, but it was really exhausting. Like, I barely made it home and in the bed Thursday night, and God really used it again to say, Yes, it's fun. The extraordinary can be so awesome, but you can't keep up that frenzied pace forever. And Proverbs 13, 7 says, A pretentious, showy life is an empty life, but a plain and simple life is a full life. And I was really excited to come home to my plain and simple life because the reality is what I'm doing every day on a daily basis is affecting eternity because I am helping raise disciples of Jesus Christ who then are going to be able to go out in the world and help raise disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's why when I got this verse tattooed, I didn't tattoo it where it faced out so y'all could read it. I tattooed it where I could see it, where it faced me, because believe me, I look at it a lot, sometimes hourly throughout the course of a day, because I need to be reminded that there is worth in what I'm doing. So I'm not saying that everybody needs to go out and tattoo your timeless truth on your body somewhere, but I do think that Patrick needs to add God is smarter than me to his collection. How good was that? Give it up for Mickey and Kim and Barb and Patrick and Nick. I mean, she walked in here barefooted and I thought, I thought we were stopping at number five. (laughs) Come on. I'm not trying to win the Breeders' Cup. I quit. I threw the towel in. Laughter is a good medicine. (laughs) Laughter is a good medicine. Here's the way I want to wrap it. So over these last weeks, I've challenged you weekly. Hey, why don't you write down those timeless truths that God has submitted in your heart? And just like Kim sharing, don't waste your pain, Mickey, talking about community. Patrick, 
God is a lot smarter than you. I've hung around you, brother. His ways are way above yours. But Nick and Barb, I mean, you know, there's so many things you could write down. There's so many things you could write down. I started journaling a long time ago. I started writing down these timeless kind of truths a long time ago. So when I started looking at what I wanted to do in October was, why don't you share like some of those key nuggets for you? Like scars are not a sign of imperfection. They're mere evidence that healing has taken place. That's the truth for me. You know, that Jesus plus nothing equals completion. That's the truth for me. That the unscripted life is the only one worth living. That's the truth for me. That God is truly for me. That was the first verse I memorized, Romans 8.31. So I started writing all these things down. I invite you to do that. Also started writing down all those like key scriptures in my life. Like even through the book of Philippians, I pretty much quote the whole thing, not bragging, but I just love that book so much. And like Philippians 1 has got so many nuggets in it. Verse 6 and I mean even 3, the prayer. And you know, the prayer is I pray that you would experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord. That's the prayer that he was praying for the people. But God, who started this good work, is going to be faithful to perfect it. I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. That God not only allows us to suffer for his name's sake, but to believe that he really is the Savior. That for me to live as Christ and to die. I mean, I could go through Philippians, but I started writing down all of these passages, whether it be out of Genesis or out of Exodus or whatever, I started writing those down. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget, uh, it was about 10 or 12 years ago. And Rachel, our oldest daughter, was about 11 or 12. And uh, Benji was about 9. And I was getting ready to go on this road trip. And I was going to be gone for a bit. And I'd already started journaling. But I get on this plane and I'm flying out to Arizona, wherever I was going. And I started weeping on the plane. And I was like, what about if something happened to you? 9-11 was still kind of fresh, right? Ever how long ago it was for me. But I said, suppose you go down. You're not promised another breath. At any moment, God can say, give me back my breath, and you're without options. So suppose something were to happen to you. What are you going to pass on to your kids? What are you going to pass on to your grandkids? And I'm like, man, I want to write down everything I can so that If God were to have taken me out then or even now, I look at little Caleb, my 11-year-old, Hannah, who's 13, Jesse. But if God took me out in the next day or so, they could take all of my journal. They could take all of this stuff that I've written over the years, and they could take it and have it binded together. And they would have seven, 800 pages of like notes and thoughts from dad. And And it rocked me so heavy to think, I'm not promised another breath, but how cool would it be for Hannah to sit down with her little Tim one day and to say, you never got to know your granddaddy, but he was intentional with the way he did life and he didn't waste his pain and waste his story. And he journaled and repeatedly wrote the timeless nuggets that God was teaching him. So so today we're going to look at what granddaddy was studying Back in 2002, on October 31st or November 1st or whatever, and we're going to read what granddaddy was reading. And it blew me away. It, it, it really did blow me away. 
Because I was thinking, though I am dead, through faith, I can continue to speak to that next generation. So instead of just being a man who becomes a mentor, I'm like, I want to be a patriarch in my family. And I want to affect the lives of that next generation and that next generation and that next generation. So I challenge you, write it out. And when you do, write write it out over the next days. And then send it to your mom, your dad, your siblings, whoever. Send it to your friends to go, I just want to share with you some of what God has submitted in my heart. I challenged you right out of the gate that a testimony has three parts. Who you were before Christ, how you met Christ, and how Christ has changed you. People have shared their stories over the last weeks. I shared mine. One of my sisters that was in the first service, she wrote out her story, who she was before Christ, how she met Christ, and really shaped it up beautifully. She sent me a copy and Barb. Then she sent it to her mom, her dad, her siblings, and everybody in her family. And I said, look at you. I'm so proud of you for doing that. Well, you challenged us to do it. And I wanted my family to know where I stood. We're in Kansas City last week. I go down to work out Wednesday. I come back up. Barbara's sitting in the bed with her Bible, with her pen, and with her journal. And I said, what are you doing? She said, you challenged us last week to personalize Psalm 139. Wasn't that your challenge to everybody? And I said, yeah. She said, well, I'm writing out and personalizing Psalm 139. What a refreshing exercise this is. You, you were doing that. Yes. Antonio last week, I'll never forget challenging him. Uh, who you were before, how you met Christ, and how he's changed you. Let's go through Ephesians. He goes, Paul, who is he? Before I can read about Paul, I need to know who he was, how he met Christ, and how Christ had changed him. Antonio had a, like eight pages of notes saying, oh, this is who this dude is. I ain't even got into Ephesians yet, but you told us to do that right? Didn't you challenge us that that's how you get to know somebody's story? Yeah. So write out your story. Write down those timeless truths. And remember, remember, God's for you. God loves you. God wants to change the trajectory. He does. He wants to do that for you. And uh, don't forget that Nick Slate is awesome in his own mind. (laughs) 